We spend two or three or four weeks talking about what? I love my church. Who loves Portview Church? Amen. I love Portview Church. I love the big church, the big C church. The big C church is the church of Jesus Christ. It's broad and it's wide and there's people of all different persuasions and beliefs and they, some people do things the way are uncomfortable for me, but it's the church. But I love my local small C church, meaning the local expression of the kingdom of God in a local congregation at this time at this place and we call it Portview. And I love Portview Church, and I'm glad I saw hands everywhere saying, I love my church. So every year, we take a couple of weeks, and we do this, you know, sometimes I say, should I do this again? But I think it's so vital, we remind ourselves in this I love my church focus every year, why do we do what we do? Why do we spend the energy and the money? We're going to talk about money later in our annual meeting. How much money it takes to operate this church, to do the ministry we do. Why would we possibly invest all the time and all the money into developing a place called Portview Church and maintaining it and pushing it forward? Why do I lay awake at night trying to figure out how to make Portview Church get better? Why do we do it? Well, we talk about this, and I love this. I love my church emphasis every single year. And so we're doing it in three weeks this year. The first week, Pastor Mitch talked about the heart, the heart of Portview Pete. Matter of fact, we got a picture of Portview Pete. Um, and so Portview Pete has a heart. And the heart is what? It's our motto. We are people who care. And we talk about why nothing we do is done right if our heart is wrong. And the emphasis, the, the main thing that God wants to do in our lives is change our hearts. And if you don't, understand, you don't believe that, just read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he's talking about this. He's saying, if your heart is right, your actions will be right. So we understand from Jesus, he's saying, get your heart right. And that's the work of the Spirit. So, so we love our church. The first thing we want to do if we love our church is we want to get our hearts right. We want to be people filled with the love of, of God. And that we want to reflect back the love of God to God. And we want to reflect the love of God to each other. And we want to reflect the love of God to a world around us. We're people who care. We care what's going on. We care about the person next to us. You know, uh, one of our of our deacons who's not here today because he had emergency appendix surgery yesterday, Kevin Johnson. You're not here, are you, Kevin? I was quite sure you're not here. He's a pretty tough guy. He's a West Point grad and stuff, so he could have maybe said, I'm going to tough it out and be here. But um, because we're people who care, you know what? The second I got home, or within minutes of getting home from teaching DSOM, we were in the car. Suzanne had prepared a meal. We drove up to Kevin's house and dropped off a meal for Kevin and Maggie because they're recovering. Kevin's recovering, and he got all the stuff to deal with with emergency surgery. Um, and uh, why would you do that? Because of this. You, you're people who care. We care for each other, so we help each other. And you do it for each other all the time. So we start off and we, we talk about that. Why are we people who care? Then last Sunday, we spent a week talking about Portview Pete, about that, not just the heart, but the whole rest of Pete. And we gave you magnets the last couple of weeks, and there's still some left. I can't believe it. So take them and slap them on your refrigerator. You know, I think it was Pastor Mitch told me he was going to take them and slap one every. Somebody told me they're going to slap on everybody's cars in the parking lot. Um, but um, we've all, we've done this a few times before. But we it's Pete's a reminder for us of what? What are those five things that are outside the heart? Five things that Pete that Pete represents. They're the ways we reflect love back to God. 
They're the five purposes of our church, the five things that, that the early church, we can see very clearly in Scripture, especially in Acts 2, 42 to 48, which is this picture of the early church. Um, it shows what things that they engage in, and the rest of Scripture supports it. And there was basically five things that they invested their energy into. They worshipped God. They they um, reached lost people. They connected with one another. They grew in Christ's likeness, and they served with the love of Christ. And so these are ways we reflect back the love of God. And now today, we're going to spend our last Sunday talking about I Love My Church. I want to talk about something that I don't know. So we started doing this series in 2013. It's the first year we did it. That's when we unveiled Portview Pete to you. Um, and so I don't know since then if we have spent five years. I don't know if since then we have spent an entire week talking, or Sunday talking about what I want to talk about today in the, in the, uh, in the um, emphasis on, on this. And what I want to talk about today is because Poor Few Pete and People Who Care came out of a time of two years of us seeking the Lord's direction for how did you want us to take Fort View Church forward? And we created a, a motto, we created our purposes, but we created some core values. And I was thinking, I don't know, other than just mentioning them, if I've ever spent an entire service talking about the seven core values that we have as a church that guide us here at Portview. They help us stay on the right path, and here they also do something else. They push us when we get complacent. So today I want to talk about these. I want to do this not though so you just know how we steer Portview, because everything that pizza body, so that it's for our church, but it's for you as an individual, but these core values could also be used by you to steer your own life and your own direction. And I would say this. I would say they're really, you're going to see they're all biblically based. And their core values, you could say, well, I've got some little different core values in my life, but these are really good ones. So I'm going to tell you to write them down. The core values. matter of fact, there's a piece of paper hanging right behind my desk, and it says our motto, our purposes, and our core values. And it's right there, so I read them all the time to remind me of what, what our church is about. And so obviously with seven of them, I can't preach on each one for 20 minutes or we will be here forever. So I'm going to go really quickly. Matter of fact, the first one's going to be really quick. I'm going to go through these things really quickly and I want you to try to get the heart of what the core values are of our church and it could be for your life. They are for my life and that they can help steer you and push you at some times when you're maybe complacent and protect you at times when you might go astray. So let's look at our seven core values, and I'm going to start each one this way by saying, we believe, and then fill in the blank. We believe in something. They're the values we believe in. So the first core value we believe, we believe that the Bible is our foundation. That was the first one we came up, we said, we can't not have that. The Bible is our foundation. The Bible is God's gift of guidance to his people. 2 Timothy 3.16, if you're going to memorize scriptures, you should have this one memorized. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, and can be the woman of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You notice what the Bible's there for? Timothy's very clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is profitable to teach us, to reprove us. Do you ever need to be reproved? I do, to correct us. Sometimes we're going in the wrong direction. We need to be corrected and to train us to be righteous so that we become adequately equipped for every good work that God's called us to do. 
We want to always remember as individuals and as a church that God loves us so much that he has given us his word as a guide for us. And his word is designed to teach and reprove and correct and train us. And that is a gift. You are not left wandering on your own in the sea of this world. You have a guideline, a ship that can direct and carry you through the turbulent waters of life. And it is God's word. And friends, listen to me. There is an assault on the belief in God's word, even within the church world today. The idea that the Bible is God's word is under assault big time in our church world today. And they'll say things like this. Well, it contains God's word. Well, if it just contains God's word, who gets to pick and choose which is what is God's word? It is God's word. And we we own it as such. Um, So we must be committed to always allow God by his word to give us his guidance. And I know this about my own experience. I know this from watching other things. And I know this is from the truth of scripture. If we follow God's word, we will live on the right path. We will go in the right way. We will be protected by God. The God, word of God is like guardrails that keep us from going off the edge of the cliff in a world that's quite confusing at times. Make sense? So we know that our first commitment is that we believe the Bible is our foundation. The second one is this. We believe in a culture of equipping. We believe at Portview in a culture of equipping. This is so important, and you're going to go, I never thought. Matter of fact, I almost wrote an entire sermon just on this point because I think it's so relevant today. So I'm going to be brief, but I want you to try to really pay attention to what I'm saying here. I think this is so important, especially in our culture today. See, there's a shift going on in the church world today that, that um, it's not a new one. It's happened before in history, but it's happening again. And the shift is this. People thinking that ministry is to be done by paid professionals. Ministry should be done by the pastor and the pastoral staff of the church. In the past... Um, up to, so for centuries in the church world, the church dealt with this because the church had some bad theology, i.e., you must have core value number one that says that God's words are guide. Had bad theology, and that bad theology established a system where there was an elevated clergy and a disempowered laity. There was, clergy did everything. Matter of fact, if you weren't clergy, you couldn't even read the Bible. You weren't allowed to. And, the laity just did whatever they were told, and the clergy um, were empowered and they were disempowered. Now, the Bible never shows a distinction. It doesn't show a, a empowered laity and a disempowered clergy and a disempowered laity. But that's how the church world existed for centuries. And God raised up this guy. What's his name? Martin Luther. And it was this thing 500 years ago called the Reformation. And the Reformation had a, had, you know, a number of different points, but the primary point, some of the primary points of the Reformation were the elevation of this concept called the priesthood of believers. It's saying that you and I are priests of the Lord. So the priesthood of believers. All can, this is what makes the idea that all people can know God, all people can know His Word, and all people can minister. And I see us as a society drifting right back into the mistake that they had pre-Martin Luther, pre-Reformation, but it's for a totally different reason. Back then it was because people were misguided and they were taught 
really a lie saying scripture said something, but no one knew the scriptures because they weren't allowed to read the scriptures. But now we have the scriptures, and I think we have the same thing happening, for, but for a different reason. And this is the reason. It's because we believe somehow it's, it's allowable for us to outsource our spiritual responsibilities. You see, I can pay church professionals to do it all, and I can just be an observer, and I'll sit and I'll watch. I'll drop off my kids for someone else to take care of in, in church. I'll enjoy a Sunday show put on by the staff and a few other committed people. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Um, we need ministers who have studied the Bible and understand God's Word. We need staff who can teach and administrate. But do you know what my job is as a minister? The Bible is very clear. You know what my job is as a pastor and the other pastors in our church? You know what our job description is? God gives it. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Very clear, the Apostle Paul. To the New Testament church, to you and me, he says this. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors, teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints. Say something. Say, I'm a saint. If you come from a Catholic background, you may misunderstand what that means. And I'm not being anti-Catholic. I'm saying you may misunderstand what that means, thinking it means an elevated person. In the New Testament, saint is very clearly used for every rank-and-file person who's come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. So if you are born again, according to the Bible, you are a saint. That's what the Bible teaches. So he gave pastors and other ministers... For the purpose of equipping of the saints, you and me, for the work of service, doing ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, doing the work of the church. Now let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Those of you who have been in the church world for at least 30 years, raise your hand. Okay, about 30% of us maybe. Answer a question for me. If you were part of a church that had Wednesday night programming, in the Assemblies of God, it might have been Royal Rangers and Missionettes. If you were in a church that had Sunday school, um, you had a church that had youth groups. Um, and, and that might be a little different, but who ran Royal Rangers and Missionettes? What people in the church? Who? Lay people. Did any pastors do it? None. Who taught Sunday school? Did pastors teach Sunday school? No. Some of you, who taught your youth group? A youth leader. We have had a complete shift in our thinking, just like pre-Reformation thinking. What's happened in our culture is we've said, let's outsource it to paid professionals. And a lot of times we say this, oh, my kids are done now if I did serve, so I'm done serving. Who is better at raising our kids for Jesus than somebody who's done it successfully? No one. If you are a mom or a dad or a grandma and grandpa, and you say, I really don't have a place to fit, we need you to invest into our kids. Because, and, and there's many other ways to invest. So I'm just using that as an example. Because it just, as I'm thinking of this, the kids' ministry is such an easy example to say. Because you went to Rangers, you went to Missionettes, you went to Sunday school, you went to Awana, whatever, and guess what? You know who ran it? The pastor was teaching a Bible study on Wednesday night to a group of adults, and moms and dads 
We're teaching all the kids. But what's happened in our world today? Paid professionals. So we've changed our view on what happens. Now understand this. The church world didn't make that church, that change because there's a bunch of people saying, we want to, oh, I want a job. The change has happened because the church world has said, there's no one to do it. And I have to try to hire somebody. Well, you know what happens? If you're going to hire somebody, you know, what's the challenge when you got to hire somebody? That green stuff. You got to pay for it. But it's not about money. Money's not the problem here. Money's not the issue. Scripture is very clear for the health of the church, the development of the way God wants people to be. That when a mom and dad are responsible for raising their kids and their grandkids, they take great involvement in it. But if we have a belief that says I can outsource the raising of my kids, I distance myself from it. And what I do is I break the pipeline that God has created to that he's the way the main way the faith is transmitted from person to person is from generation to generation through family ties. So it's not only in church, but church is one of the things. It's one of the things that we stop, we make space, and we say, today, this hours, these minutes, we're just gonna really focus on the things of God. And so can you understand this parallel? I'm going, you go, oh my goodness, it's this is pre-reformation. We're outsourcing the ministry to paid professionals. Well, that's not what God says. So we as a church, as a staff, me to Pastor Mitch and everybody else, I'm constantly telling them, reminding them, really, what's our job? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. We're to equip saints for works of service. I always say we're not to do it. We're to help people succeed in doing it. My job is to be an equipper, an equipper, an equipper. To help somebody else do it, not me do it in their place. That makes sense? Now, I took a lot of time on point number two, and you're getting really nervous. But point number two is the one I really felt that God was like, help us understand, help our pe- my people understand this point. Because it's literally critical to the success and health of the church and the transmission of faith within your families and within the family of God at Portview. Number three, we believe that transparency builds trust. Now, I want you to understand something. In a lot of these, I've never read these anywhere else. I really believe God led us to these. I've never heard somebody say in a core value something like this. We believe transparency builds trust. But we believe it's a value. We think it's really important in a world where no one seems to be able to know what's true, what's not true, who they can trust. It's true. It's the reality of our world. The other day, I got a call on my cell phone And it was a lady saying this. My phone rings, I answer, and she says to me, are you trying to sell me something? I can tell it's an old lady, I go, you called me. Are you trying to sell me something? I said, I'm not trying to sell you something. Ma'am, you called me. She goes, I keep getting calls from this number, and you're trying to sell me something. And I said, well, this is my cell phone. I said, I've never called you. Well, somebody's calling me from this number. I said, well, how do you know this number? She said, I hit redial. I'm like, I've never called you. I've never, ever called you, and I'm not selling anything. So I said, ma'am, I'd suggest you block my number. She said, I did block your number, and it keeps calling me. And so at first, I'm listening. I'm going, is this somebody trying to scam me? They're just asking me for information to verify. She didn't do that. And I said, ma'am, if this number pops up in your phone, don't answer it. I don't know you. I'm not calling you. You can't trust what's going on in the world today. I'm thinking she's scamming me. She thinks I'm scamming her. And probably it was a third party trying to use my phone number to scam her somehow. And they somehow commandeered my phone number. That's the world we live in today. It's not easy 
to tell what's true and what's not true. It's not easy to tell who's telling the truth and, and who's lying. You know, just look on Facebook. You see a picture. And, or, or in the news, you see a picture. and Maybe it's a compromising picture. This person went there or did that. What's, what's your first response? You know what my first response is? Is that picture even real? Because we can create anything we want. With the technology we have, we can make anybody, any place at any time doing anything. And when I see a picture, I go, well, I don't know if that's true. Is it true or isn't it true? You know, our last presidential election, you know the thing that made our current president win? I think the thing why he won, he kept on um, pounding on one thing. It's fake news. It's fake news. It's fake news. It's fake news. Here's the deal. We can't even tell what's real news and fake news. We don't even know. So a guy could actually become president of the United States by hounding on the point that you can't believe anything you hear, that there's fake news all over the place. It's hard to know what's true today, what's honest today. So guess what? We want to be different. We want to be honest and transparent in everything we do. Colossians 3, 9, and 10 says this, Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. How do we, he says here, how do we become like, though it, it conform to the image of the one who created us? We don't lie to one another. It's one of the ways. We don't lie to one another. We become different. So transparency in finances. Transparency in the actions. Why do we do what we do? Transparency in our motives is about not lying to one another. It's about being honest. And that's why we believe that transparency builds trust. I have worked for 10 years to be ridiculously transparent with you. People say to me all the time, I can't believe you say what you say out loud. It's on purpose. Well, part of it is sometimes my filter doesn't work. But other times... It, the motivation behind it, it was, it's, this is written in writing for us. That I strive and we strive to be transparent in what we do. So you're not saying, what's he really saying? And you don't have to walk away. I don't think people walk away from me and go, I wonder, was Mark lying to me? They usually go, uh, that was a little too honest. Right? That's on purpose. Because transparency builds trust. I want you to trust Portview Church. And you never think, is that fake news at Portview Church? We want to be like Jesus. We want to be honest. Number four, we believe in being spirit-led. Acts 13 tells one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible because it's formative um, for me and for us as as an individual and as a church. Um, It tells, it gives an example of how in the early church they were meeting together and how they made decisions and how they found directions for their lives. So turn your Bible to Acts chapter 13 with me, verses 1 through 3. Acts 13, once remember what Acts is? Acts is the history book of the New Testament. Old Testament all pointed forward to Jesus. Jesus comes, the Gospels tell about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. Acts is the history book of the expansion of the church from that point forward. It's saying, here's how the church developed, this is how the church operated. So we could say, how do we get to five points of port through Pete? We look at Acts and say, how did they do it then? Those people, post-resurrection, Jesus followers, what did they do? So here's a way that they operated. 
Verse 1, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius from Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. They heard the voice of God by the Holy Spirit giving them direction. A group of people committed to intimacy with God, to abiding in Christ, heard the voice, the direction of the Holy Spirit, and all I can tell you, friends, is that's what I want. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want in your life. That's what I want for the direction of this church. I want us to be people of abiding in the presence of God so that when we abide in his presence and we're attentive to his voice, we hear his voice and he says, and Mark and Portview Church and your name fill in the blank, this is what I want for you. We want to do what God wants us to do. We don't want to copy others, which is the trend generally in the church world, Church A did this and they grew, so we should do it. No. This is a unique time in a unique place with a unique group of people in a unique community. And how we do it has to be how God tells us to do it, whatever it is. Um, Because we believe in being spirit-led. So, we want to be people of, of his presence, who are attentive to his voice, who are willing to say yes to whatever he says. Make sense? Number five. My... Are you keeping up? I look like maybe I'm, I'm, I'm making your brains melt a little bit going so fast. Number five, we believe that walking with Jesus should be risky. You know what? All of us, for the most part in this place, are well-adjusted, good decision makers in Ozaki and Washington County, people who pretty much have life figured out. Of all people on the planet, we need to hear this, and it's why it's one of our core values. This is one that we've included because it pushes us on when we tend to be complacent. For the most part, you and I are stable. We live in stable homes, in stable communities, in stable relationships, in a stable country. That's pretty much a good definition of us. Now, I'm not saying there's not chaos, but we are pretty stable people in the midst of the chaos. And it is easy in that environment, to get complacent. So what do we do in the church? So we set a budget, we work the programs we've put in place, and we go on cruise control. Nice, stable, and predictable. Right? There's nothing, not, there's nothing wrong with being predictable and nice unless it's keeping us from taking the risks that God's called us to do. When I look in the scriptures the picture I see painted of Christianity doesn't look nice, stable, and predictable. Often Jesus' followers took huge risks to follow them. Often they lost their lives for following him. And often they took incredible risks in taking his message to those who have not yet heard it um, around their community and around the world, and it cost them everything, including their lives. 
See, really walking with Jesus often means taking some really significant risks. In Acts chapter 21, remember, we're going to Acts regularly here because we're looking at the early church. It tells about the Apostle Paul's journey to Jerusalem. It's near the end of his ministry. And he felt compelled by God to go to, to go to Jerusalem. And the Christians along the way kept trying to get him not to go because they were afraid that they would, that they would arrest him when he got there. And I want you to look into the heart of the Apostle Paul, a guy firmly committed to the things of God. Flip your Bible over. You've been in Acts. So flip over to chapter 21, verses 11 through 14. Let's look at the heart of a risk taker for God, which is in some ways should be encouraging and compelling to us. Chapter 21 of Acts, starting in verse 11. It's pretty verse 10. It says, And they were staying there um, for some days, and a prophet named Abagus came down from Judea. And coming to us, to the group of people uh, that are with Paul, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, This is what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when, when, we, when we heard this, we as, as, um, we, as well as all the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but to even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Friends, there's been multiple times that I'm not trying to be an Apostle Paul, and I'm far from it, and I'm far from perfect, and far from the risk taker I probably should be. But there's been multiple times in our life when we felt compelled to the Lord to take ridiculous risks for God. Leave established churches and go plant new ones with no money. And you know what we heard all the time from Christian family members and friends? How dare you do that to your kids? You can't do that. That's not stable. That's not a good decision. You shouldn't do that. How are you going to pay the bills? What happens if it doesn't work? Over and over. And what I had to say to them, not out loud because they wouldn't listen, is, stop it. Why are you doing this to me? It's hard enough. You're discouraging me when God's saying to take a risk. Friends, walking with Jesus is risky business. Incredible risk. Paul paid a huge price. He was arrested, and guess what? The prophecies were right. Didn't mean he wasn't supposed to do it. They did arrest him, and they did kill him. They were right. But Paul knew he was supposed to go. Whoever said that following Jesus would be easy and risk-free, whoever that person is, it was not God. You know what I say to people at times? Um, I'll say, hey, uh, let's think about doing this. And they'll say this to me. Oh, I, I just don't feel, I just, I don't have a peace about it. And I'll say, well, you think Paul had a peace about going to Jerusalem when he knew they were going to chop his head off? A lot of times we don't have a peace about it. It's because, it's, oh, it seems like it might be hard. God usually calls us to things that are hard. Things that we can't do on our own. Walking with Jesus should be risky. The Christian's life is to be an adventure. One that at times requires risk. 
Think about what's God asking you to do that's risky. And ask yourself a question, will you do it? Or what is God asking us as a church to do in 2019 that requires risk? What is he asking us to do that's going to require financial risk? To say, well, God, we, our budget doesn't allow it. Or risk of our ease and comfort. Well, God, it's really nice and easy the way we have it right now. And if we do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a lot more. I mean, I have to get up earlier or stay, stay around later in whatever we're doing. Risk of our reputation or our position. Risk of our predictability. But this way, it's all very set and cut and dried. What if God calls us to something which he will? And he is. I'm not sure what those things are, but it's the way he works. That mess with our ease and comfort. See, we believe that for being a Christian, not just for our church, walking with Jesus should be risky. Number six. We believe in celebrating what God is doing and has done. We believe in celebrating what God is doing. Ephesians 5.20 says this, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks to God. Friends, God does amazing things for all of us all the time. And we want to make sure it's written on paper so we're reminded to do it, to take some time regularly to stop and to thank Him and to celebrate His goodness. Because guess what? I stink at this. I stink at it. Because I say, good, done, we got that finished, what's the next thing? Drive, 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 drive. Some of you do the same thing in your life. God is trying to tell us, there's all kinds of scriptural, right there, take time to give thanks, but all kinds of stories about, you know, he heals ten and one comes back and says, thank you. We should take time to celebrate. It's so easy in our lives to see the bad and to complain about it. But it's so empowering to look for the good and to celebrate. Looking for the good and celebrating not only brings glory to God, but it will change your life, it will change your perspective, it will change your attitude if you're looking for the good things and you're taking time to celebrate. Our lives should be lives of celebration because of the goodness of God in our lives and not one of us can look around and say, God's not been good to us. He's been good to us all the time. Right? Number seven, the last one. This one's kind of the other side of the coin of the one we just talked about. We believe in being forward-focused. We want to live most of our lives looking forward, looking to what God has for us and running toward that goal. Your car has a big windshield and a small rear-view mirror. You don't drive your car in the rear-view mirror. You drive your car looking through the windshield. Jesus modeled this all the time, but one time, I think it's so clear, we see this. Example, one day, recorded in Mark chapter 1, Jesus has spent um, a whole day healing the crowds, uh, ministering, preaching, casting out demons, whole day of ministry. And they, that early the next morning, they, you know, him and his disciples went to bed early the next morning. While it says, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went out to a secluded place to pray. Later, the disciples woke up and they began to look for Jesus because the crowds were clamoring, where's the guy who healed us? Where's the guy who did all the miracles? And they went and they finally found Jesus and said, Jesus, we got to go. Go back here. These people, they, they want you to come back. You're a star. And Jesus answered, this is his answer from Mark 138. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby 
so that I may preach there also, for that is what I've come for. See, the easy thing to do would have been to hang out in the town where all the miracles had taken place. But he knew his mission. Move forward to the next town. See, he moved forward into his calling. And that's what we mean by being forward-focused. It's knowing that God is not done with any one of us yet. If you have air in your lungs, God's not finished ministering through you yet. When you, when you stop breathing, he's done with you. Then he's got something different for you for eternity. We need to look forward to what God is calling us into. Dream a little by the inspiration of the Spirit. What ministries does God want us to start as Portview Church? Do we think there's needs all around us? They're everywhere. What ministries is the Holy Spirit leading us into getting involved in the beginning? What people does God want you to reach? To invite to a mom's ministry so that she can meet nice people and, and, and hopefully come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We want to hear the voice of God, but here's the deal. We want to look forward. What amazing things are in the future for us. If you're bored in life, it's because you're looking back or looking down, but you're not looking up and looking forward. God has amazing things. Is it going to take risk? Yes. Is it going to be, is it going to be scary? Yes. Is it going to cost us? Yes. Might we fail? Yes. Might we say and the ones whose hands and feet are bound are going to be imprisoned and chop their heads off? Yes. But why not go forward in the plan of God? If we've air in our lungs, he's not done with us yet. We want to move forward into the calling that God has for us like Jesus modeled for us. So yes, we take time to look back and celebrate. And I need to remind myself because I'm bad at it. But we look forward. We say, God, what's next? What's now? Maybe it's a better way. What's now? Where's he working? How can we join with him? So seven core values. We believe that the Bible is our foundation. We believe in the in a culture of equipping. We believe that transparency builds trust. We believe in being spirit-directed. We believe that walking with Jesus should be risky. We believe in celebrating what God is doing, and we believe in being forward-focused. And I would say this, church, these have served us well, and I think will continue to serve us well as we go forward. And my thought for you as we close is simply this. Was there something that as I talked kind of stirred your spirit, the Lord putting his finger on in your life? And if so, what decisions might he be asking you to make? Not for me to tell you, what's the Lord saying to you? And I would say this, move into a better direction for a better life. When God calls you to something, it's only because he wants you to be blessed blessed in his presence, blessed in what he accomplishes through you. So move forward into a better direction for a better life. Amen? Amen. And so, Father, thank you that we have been seeking you as a church family. And Lord, even these things we talked about today, we honestly spent years seeking your heart to say what things should guide Portview Church. And Lord, we believe that you said these are the things that guide, should guide Portview Church. And Lord, they've been wonderful so far, but we know that the, that the best is yet to come. 
that what you have uh, to, for our individual lives and for our church life is just beginning. That there's a whole community that needs to know you. That every one of us has friends and family members who don't know you yet. And God, you've placed Portview here and you've placed us in this place because this is a place where they can come to know you. And it's a place they can grow in Christ-likeness. And so, Lord, guide and direct our path. Some of these things maybe are, are very applicable at some stage of life in somebody right now. Just impress that on our hearts. And I would ask God that we, as a church, would just be serious-minded, not, not um, uh, uh, to the point of, of, of not having fun and enjoying life because you want us to enjoy our life, but serious-minded in the sense that walking with you is the greatest thing in our lives, and it, can, it should be our cornerstone, and everything else is built upon it. And so, Lord, bless your kids today. Let your blessings rest upon us for your glory in Jesus' name.